We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Uh, but before that, a little bit of housekeeping. And first, I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you like Joe did earlier this morning. Uh, bringing your kids and uh, helping us learn how to be a multi-generational community, helping us push against a lot of the social constructs and pressure that uh, resist that. I want to thank you also because uh, you were getting the the door the lock installed this week. Somebody signed up. We've had a lot of people come forward to uh, help facilitate uh, morning time meditation. And uh, so today I got another ask, and that's what the paper and pen is for. So if you've got that paper and pen, now's the time to uh, get it out. If you don't have one, wave, and somebody will get one to you. Um, <clears throat> oh, by the way, the, the Tiny Habits Book Club, we had five responses so far, and uh, this is last week. If you want to go to that QR code, you'll get, uh, you can put your interest in there if you're interested in doing that. So the board uh, budgeted a pretty good stipend for three Sunday morning leaders for our children. It works out to be 20-something uh, an hour, uh, and we're looking for people who love kids. Uh, elementary teacher, preschool teacher, and a nursery teacher slash baby lover. And um, we'll give them everything that they need to succeed, uh, all the things that they need to match our community, but we need help finding them. So you got a piece of paper now. And uh, do you know somebody? Do you know somebody who's uh, a teacher or works at the Y or who's a college kid studying, uh, you know, child development or some such thing? Uh, if you can, put your name and contact it, put their name and contact information on there. But if you don't have that, put yours on and we'll follow up with you. Now, again, we're going to give them everything that we need, the lessons and the games and the crafts. Shelby is the best at that. We're just looking for people who are reliable and teachable and who love, love kids. So... Uh, please uh, put that on there and then uh, leave it on your chair. I'll go and pick them all up. Leave everything on your chair. I'll even take the blank paper because we'll use that again sometime. And uh, remember what I've been saying. Ask Shelby how things are going down there. Find out how our kids' ministry is going. I hope next week we can begin uh, talking about our teenagers. That's another focus for this coming year. Um, so we're thinking about making the hard choices. Uh, and we've been exploring the pull uh, that we experience uh, toward drift in our American culture, pulling us away from making the hard choices. Ours, we've seen, is a productivity culture. We are valuable in our culture to the degree that we produce. Uh, we, uh, ours is a no-limits culture. We are collectively disposed to limit denying. These are cultural currents that make it very difficult for a lot of Americans to know when we've hit enough. Because if we are good to the degree that we produce, what is good enough? When we have we produced enough? If we are good to the degree that we push past limits, when have we pushed past 
enough? When have we done enough limit denying? The default setting is usually more. That's when we do it, when we've done more. But more is not always the best. But on the other hand, as we've seen from our wisdom tradition, there is a way to live a productive life, a life of work. We saw last week, whatever work you find, work hard at it. Do it heartily. Do it with all your might. But also live in such a way that you savor the short little scratch of time that we get on this earth. Spend a life that prioritizes loving our people, eating our food with gladness, drinking our wine with joy, wearing our clothes, doing our hair. There is a life we heard Thomas Burton describe two weeks ago that knows when it is enough. A good life is lived within the limits of being human. A good life does not try to fit more into our human lives than can fit into a human life. I wrote this down, but I didn't write down where I found it, so I've got it. (laughs) I'm going to tell it to you, but I can't give credit to whoever it is. It says that uh, I read this. Each time we open an app, there are a thousand people on the other side of the screen working hard, being paid to keep us there, to think that we can go up against a thousand people and resist that effort, and eh, it might be a little futile. That's just one area when we go into an app. A thousand people doing their dead level best to insert more into our lives than can fit into a human life. What are the odds we're going to win that one? A culture that is steeped in the notion that blowing past limits makes us good Well, that culture, by definition, is not going to be very good at knowing when is enough. So we saw last week, the authors of Ecclesiastes kind of gets a little in our faces, uses some very confrontive language, some very challenging language to push up against our evolutionary human proclivity to deny the reality of limits that are, in fact, immovable. 80 years if we're lucky. No wiggle room on that limit. 24 hours in a day. No wiggle room in that limit. The author pushes us hard to see the reality of our limits. There is never, there is never, there is never enough time. We cannot do all the good things there are to do. We just cannot. We cannot do everything, we can't taste everything, we can't experience everything, so we have to decide. We have to make the hard choices. So there's Ecclesiastes pushing us hard to take medicine that our evolutionary brains work so hard to not take. Make choices, because there are limits. Make decisions, because there are limits cannot do it all so decide what you'll do and decide well Well, it's not a new human struggle i mean ecclesiastes what 2200 or 2400 years ago so the idea has been around but we're exploring how fiercely our american culture has taken to this idea you know a thousand people on the other side of the screen so let's talk today about how the american uh culture tends to fall into this pit 
let's talk about efficiency. And I want to start today talking about efficiency by saying this, I love efficiency. <laughs> I love getting 2x accomplished with the same time and energy that I used to spend 4x doing. I just love that, vice versa, 1x doing. <laughs> when my kids and when mobile technology were both young, they used to laugh at me about how fixated I was on the productivity potential of the Palm Pilot or of the not very smart smartphone. <laughs> because I was always an early adopter, always a figure it outer. I always focused hours and hours when I'd get a new device to be as efficient in my work as possible. Now, Gene, who has been my go-to tech guy for about 20 years, he calls me a power user. <laughs> you like that? Power. <laughs> Because what I do is I try to suck every bit of capacity out of whatever device I've got, trying to get it to do more and do more and do more. He rolls his eyes at me all the time and he says, you are just going to have to spend money if you wanted to do those things. You can't keep buying these cheap devices. And he's got this other recurring refrain, just bite the bullet, get a Mac. You just got to move over and go join the bright side. <laughs> Well, I do all that stuff. I try to be as efficient as I can. And my motivation is to try and get every best practice of productivity that I can to remove the friction from the day-to-day -day things that I do to make it easy to capture ideas. That's a big part of my life. To make it seamless to create a sustainable workflow from those ideas. To discern if those ideas are rooted in wisdom and then how to turn them into actual uh, things. So I love efficiency, love, love, love it. When I go away to write <clears throat> with considerable hassle involved and the risk that I'm going to break this thing, I always bring a second monitor. I actually put it up on the dashboard so that it doesn't get crushed in the trunk. Uh, I've got this big old tote bag and it sticks way out. I've got this tangle of wires. It is very, very inconvenient to bring a second monitor when I go away. But I do it because efficiency. Research on one screen, along with notes that I've taken in the past, along with a notepad to capture new ideas, over here on the other screen, the, the things that I'm writing, because God forbid the inefficiency of Alt-Tab, that I would have to do that, that would, I might forget the thought that I was thinking in the half second that it takes to do Alt-Tab. So I love efficiency. I think efficiency is our friend. And I need to start with that because I think there's also an ugly downside to efficiency. During What Are You Thinking last week, we were talking about limits, and it came up that sometimes... Could you try again? Shh. No, I don't want to talk to you now. <laughs> we talked about how sometimes we need to push past limits, and how we expand when we do push past limits, how we grow, and boy, that is really true. But it is also true, we saw last week, 80 years, 24 hours. There's never and there never will be enough time. So to live wisely, we have to hold these truths in tension. And we have to discern when we adopt this understanding of the truth and when we adopt this understanding of the truth. Well, the same thing is true here. Two efficiency truths. To live wisely, we need to hold those two truths in tension. Truth number one, Efficiency is the best. I love efficiency. 
Let's look at truth number two. I bet you've heard of this book, and I bet you know what those jars of rocks are all about. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I read it when it first came out. That's how old I am. (laughs) And these jars are a well-known illustration how to live an effective life. On the table, there are some big rocks, there's some little rocks, there's some sand. If you put the sand in first, there's not going to be any room for the big rocks. So make sure that you put the important things in first. You put the big rocks in first. That way, if you schedule the important things first, you're going to make sure they get done. And then what you can do is you can shake in the sand, the less important things. You can shake in the little rocks, and you can end up squeezing all the stuff in uh, if you're just smart about how you do it. And the main thing is put first things first. Make sure that you live according to your biggest value. Values. It's a strategy for values-driven uh, living. First things first, important things first. It's also a strategy for efficient living because it's amazing how much empty space there is between the big rocks. Wow, so much time in the cracks. If you put the big rocks in first, you really can do it all. <laughs> the problem with the illustration is the number of rocks that are on the table when the demonstration starts. If you're smart about it, that number of rocks will actually fit in the jar. But in human life, that's not the way it works. There's just too many rocks. There are always more rocks, good rocks, sometimes even better rocks. There are always more important things to do, more good things to take part of, more valuable things than a human life can contain. There are just too many rocks in a human life, more than will fit in the stupid jar. So, if we let our evolutionary brains run unchecked, if we let our compulsion to hide from our own mortality go unchecked, and then if we add on top of that our limit-denying culture, Add to that that we are not going to build our lives around 80 years if we're lucky, 24 hours in a day. Do that, and we end up not making the hard choices. Because often we go through our lives believing, and then believing again, and then believing again, we really can fit all the rocks in. All it's going to take, we feel inside of our American guts, a little more shaking, a little more squeezing, stay up a little later, get up a little earlier, squeeze in a little extra. Now, as we said last time, sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. We need to push up against our limits because we've drawn them back way too far. Sometimes we need to not be imposing limits on ourselves. That's really true. But sometimes when we're trying to shake a little bit more in, what we're really doing is avoiding making hard choices. As much as I love efficiency, it promises more than it can deliver. What it can do is help us get more done with less time and effort. It can do that. But what it can't do is solve the Ecclesiastes problem. It can't solve the 80 years, 24-hour days problem. What it often does, however, is feed the illusion of our own immortality. If we get efficient enough, and if we do more stuff, it makes us feel we really can do it all. If I just had a little bit more doing of more with less, 
And I promise, I really will. I'll prioritize the big rocks. Really, I promise I will. You know, the not urgent, but important stuff, I'll do that. But also, I'm going to meet all my deadlines, and I'm going to return all my emails, and I'm going to finish all my reports, and I'm going to be ready for all of my meetings, and I'm going to make healthy meals on the weekend, and I'm going to make sure I get up early to go to the gym, and I'm going to make sure I meditate, and I'm going to have thoughtful conversations with my spiritual friends. And then, when I have shaken it all well, and I've squeezed it all in, then... I can feel at peace. And then I can be serene. Here's the problem, and that is that I bet you've tried that. And I bet you've tried to be a little more efficient and to squeeze a little more in. And here's what I also bet. I bet it worked. I bet it went gangbusters for a while. And I bet when it did go gangbusters for a while, you believed, I know I have many, many times See, I can do this. I really can. I can manage it all. (laughs) But before long, no matter how we shake the rocks, no matter how we try and get more efficient, we begin to suffer the law of diminishing returns. Same effort, but now a little worn down, not quite as efficient, not quite as vigorous, because limits. Because also the pylon effect. You might have noticed that efficient people end up with more stuff. Partly because of our own doing, we get efficient, we free up a little time, we get a little bit more done with a little less time or energy, we think, hey, I could do more, and so we add more to our own lists. But also, who wants to give important tasks to inefficient people so somebody else will cooperate and ha- give more to us as well? So we've got the pile-on effect that we do to ourselves. We've got the pile-on effect that others do to us. And inevitably, the efficiency trap fails us. Physical weirdness, unsustainable focus, piling on too many rocks. Efficiency inevitably stops working. But the crazy thing is, even though it does we still hold on to the story. That little sliver of time when it did work, when it was going gangbusters, reinforces a story deep inside of us. I know I could have just kept it up. I know I could do it. I did it for all that time. If I could just now start living that way, all I need to do is muster a little bit more willpower. All I need to do is work a little bit smarter, work a little bit stronger, be a little more disciplined. Maybe I need to get a better job, a better work environment so it can help me. I could, I will, I think I can. And inevitably, efficiency fails us. Another fun part of the efficiency trap is the guilt. Uh, To do more at work, we have to sacrifice something, and that's usually home. So then we feel guilty about home. And then when we do more at home, then we feel guilty about our work. And if we don't feel guilty about those, then we feel guilty about not taking care of our bodies or not watching over our food. Or what about our friendships? We're not taking care of our friendships or social justice. Come on, good people take care of social justice. And how about supporting our kids' teachers? And how about the church? Oh, my God, there's never going to be there's just too many rocks. <laughs> That's the human experience. Get more efficient, and always more rocks are just going to keep showing up. And now, because we've gotten more efficient, because we've put more into the little cracks in between the big uh, rocks, now we feel busier all the time because we have fit more stuff into less time. 
and we do feel more pressure and we do feel more stress efficiency has an ugly underside and it will harm us it's an american pitfall an american promise that cannot live up to what it promises boy it could do a lot did i mention i love efficiency but it can't solve the ecclesiastes problem it doesn't remove the necessity of making the hard choices it just fools us into thinking we don't have to we don't have to make the hard choices finally let's think about efficiency's first cousin let's think about convenience now i should mention here <coughs> i love convenience <laughs> I love, love, love convenience. I love that I have Amazon in my pocket. I love that if I get it wrong, I could go right to Kohl's and they don't even care if I've got the box. I just love easy and I love convenience. I get an email while I'm waiting for an appointment. Hey, Doug, the chapel project is ready for the monitor on the back wall. While I'm waiting for that appointment to show up, boom, it's ordered. It's on its way. It's going to get here. I love convenience and I bet you do too. But like its first cousin convenience has a downside has a dark side when we remove the hassle factor in doing business when we remove the small annoyances in our buying and in our selling and in our doing first convenience disconnects us from people because you might have noticed people are often small annoyances they want to say extra words they want to take extra time and they are very annoying or inconvenient. <laughs> so what we do when we remove the impediments and make things convenient is usually remove the people from the system. And uh, I've mentioned this book quite a few times. When we do that, there's a whole bunch of research that goes into what happens to human beings when we stop getting our coffee from a barista or when we stop getting our groceries from a clerk. It's an important book. It speaks to the sources, the drivers behind this epidemic of anxiety and depression we're going through as a society. I think everybody should read it. You might want to. But convenience, by making things easy shapes what we decide we're going to do uh, without us participating in the decision convenience mostly shapes what we stop doing there's a reason those thousand people on the other side of my screen work so hard to make things easy for me they work so hard to eliminate the friction in my doing because if they make their thing easy I'll stop doing the other thing. And I'll stop doing it primarily because their thing is so easy. And I end up making that decision often without asking, is the thing that I'm opting out of the best thing to be opting out of? Is the thing that I'm opting out of actually a primal, essential part of being human, an important thing? Is it a wise thing for me to be letting it go? <coughs> the dark side of convenience is it shapes the things that we stop doing. Because we prefer the easy thing, we stop doing the other thing. DoorDash is much easier than organizing a meal with someone. I'm not sure it's better. Netflix algorithm, those thousand people who are keeping me there watching the next episode, that's a whole lot easier than organizing time spent with friends. 
I'm not sure it's better. Convenience, like efficiency, seduces us into imagining that there's room for everything. And there's not. Convenience, like efficiency, hides from us what we are saying no to. Because what we say no to shapes what we're saying yes to. And it does it without us really having a say, without us thinking it through. More yes to what's convenient, more no to something maybe more important. Convenience, like efficiency, reinforces the illusion you don't have to make choices. You can have it all, and you can have it delivered to your door. Now again, I love convenience. I love, love, love convenience. This is not an argument against convenience. It is an argument to go back to what we do every year at the first of the year and live a considered life, a reflective life, to ask the questions, what our yeses will be and what our noes will be. It is an argument to make the hard choices, make the hard decisions. And to realize we cannot have it all, we cannot do it all, we're going to have to decide. As Americans, there are a lot of forces bearing down on us. And they're all reinforcing the, the illusion that we don't have to make the hard choices. And the truth is, we don't. Lots of people are not making the hard choices. We can let those forces carry us all the way through our one and only life on this earth. We can do that. But also, and the wisdom of the spiritual tradition encourages us too, we can decide. We can decide. I was uh, speaking to an introvert friend this week, and we were talking about how easy it is to stay home, how easy it is to not show up to the spaces where we build friendships, because friendship building is the embodiment of inconvenience. Friendship building is the embodiment of inefficiency. It's difficult. If we were good at it, we would have been extroverts. We don't know what to do in the space. It's hard, so it's easy to not see that we are not making the hard choices. It's easy to not see that we are not building our network of spiritual friends. So over lunch, as we were talking, I told him about my wife, about Denise. She's an introvert. And as long as I've known her, I cannot think of one time an evening meeting has rolled around and she wanted to get dressed and she wanted to get in the car and she wanted to leave the house and she wanted to go to the thing. Not, I, I can't remember once. <laughs> now the things that she tends to go to, always good. She's very careful that way. So I also can't remember her ever coming back from a thing and regretting that she went. But she goes because she made a bigger picture decision. She made a hard choice. She made some considered life choices about, I want to have the hassle of people in my life. That's what was her conclusion. I want a network of spiritual friends. I want to share the spiritual journey with others. I want the give and take that happens together on the path. So I'm making the hard choices. She latched onto a phrase lately. Uh, you, you, got to, you got to ask two questions, not just one. The first question is what hurts? But the other question is what hurts more? <laughs> And it hurts more to not show up into the spaces. So she shows up to Bunko. 
and uh, she shows up to her book club and she's, she shows up to the places where connections get made and she shows up when she doesn't know the people who are going to be there and it's going to be very difficult for her to make those connections. She's always glad that she did every time but also every time, ah, oh, I could stay home. <laughs> ah, the couch. <laughs> Making the hard choices resisting the siren song and the false promise of efficiency, resisting the choice shaping mostly the no-saying choices of convenience. In Dwelling Divine, may we be the people who choose wisely, making the hard choices. Amen. Well, if you would, get out your phone, and we all give online now. You can either point your camera at the QR code, or you can thumb type in commonthreadchurch.org. If you're at home watching on a computer, you can just type it in. Lots of options when you get there, lots of ways to give. And uh, we invite people here in Raleigh, or even if you're far away, to take an ownership stake in the community. Now, here's the thing. You all have been a very generous community. We are able to move into this space that hasn't had technology since 1959. We're probably going to face a bigger electric bill than we planned for because it turns out that the electricity in 1959 uh, doesn't work for uh, our current technology. But we'll be able to do that, and we'll be able to take care of our teens, and we'll be able to take care of our children because you have been a generous community. So thank you for that. And you also have done a pretty good job keeping in mind what I say every week, that there is good return when we invest in community. We give. We give our time and we give our energy and we give our love and we give, up, give our dollars. And then the community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which we thrive, in which our children thrive. Thank you for being a generous community, and let's keep that in mind. Again, it's on our website. Uh, it's about as easy as we can make it. So in a minute, we're going to dismiss the folks on the live stream. And here in the room, we'll do, what are you thinking? Because the tables are all out during the run of this play, we'll just do it like we did last week, and we'll just open the floor. If you're online, you might not know that this is one of the best parts of our community life. So we hope that you will overcome the impediment. It's really difficult to go there because you don't know. Maybe they're going to be mean to you when you get there. I promise you they won't. I know who the folks are. They'll be nice to you. You will, at the end of the 20 minutes, think to yourself, ah, that was worth my time. On the front page of uh, our website, when you scroll down, you'll see the link to the Zoom. If you don't find it there, it's under Events and News, and uh, that'll give you the link, and here's the password. The password is 1417, 1417. Uh, so click on the link. It's there in the YouTube notes, or uh, if you're time-shifting, maybe next week come during the live, and then you can join in as well. Let's dismiss the folks as they go online. If you would, please put your hand on your heart. And let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine, which means love and joy, peace, patience, and kindness, what the tradition calls the fruit of the indwelling spirit. That's all in us. So let's look for opportunities to share what's in us with the people that we, let's extend our other hand to the city, people we live with, people we work with, people we go to school with, looking for opportunities to share that stuff that's already in us with those people, looking for opportunities to repair and heal the world, Amen. Uh, God's blessing on you. There was something I was going to tell you before you go. What was it? Yeah, I forgot it. All right. Goodbye, all. <laughs> there
If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.